I guess that song finished. I guess it did. It's such a quiet track. Inkstud at CITR 101.9 FM. I am sitting here with Richard Poplock. Uh, how are you doing, Richard? Great. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. Um, you got a great radio voice. Uh, my, mother, my mother always told me I have a, I have a face for radio. That's you, my line. Have you heard? That's, you heard that's that my before? line. Yeah. 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 I remind people constantly I have a face for radio. There you go. Mirrors break as I walk by. We were listening to a little Einstein's and Neupotent. I was expecting that track to be a little louder than it was. Um, That's okay. It was an enjoyable track. I kind of uh, purposefully picked some uh, Einstein's and Neupotent because uh, today Richard's here to talk about his new book, uh, Kank, um, with solid Ks. Kank. 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 About the uh, Toronto... I kind of feel like calling him the the bike thief is it, it doesn't really popular or properly kind of assess the character behind the man like it's not about the the theft but about the idiosyncrasies I suppose so and I think it's the book's about a lot more than that I mean the why I love the idea of doing a book about Igor is because obviously I come from a journalism background, and I'm sure a lot of people on the show that, that you've had before don't. But, <laughs> yeah. um, I've but, had Joe Sacco on. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we, we can wrestle with Joe Sacco uh, at, at maybe later, but but. I talked to Alex about Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fans. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but you know I'm, I'm a I come from a sort of hardcore investigative journalist background. And a couple of my heroes are, are these New York journalists um, from the 50s named Joseph Mitchell and A.J. Liebling. And what both of those guys had the opportunity to do with The New Yorker 
uh, magazine in the 50s was write what I call character journalism. Mm -hmm. So um, it's funny, I was having a, a lunch with, with Hal Wake um, and, uh, and, and one of the guys from my, my distribution company uh, today, Hal Wake's the head of the Vancouver International Writers Festival, and, and he made an excellent point. He said, character journalism has been replaced by personality journalism or, yeah. or celebrity mm. journalism. But character journalism really was about finding characters, urban characters, sitting down and talking to these guys. Joseph uh, Joseph Mitchell called uh, called his characters earbenders, guys who would just bend your ear because they talked so much, and because these guys lived on the fringes of society, they tended to explain society. So that was really w what I found with with Kenk. He's that epic. He's that mythological a figure that he ends up explaining a lot about us. That that we that we you know that these types of characters tend to do. He's a lens. Well, look at you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. indeed, he is. He, he's a lens. Yeah. Um, now, for folks that don't really know much about Igor, I mean, we are in Vancouver, so we sure. Yeah, it's in Toronto. It's everyone knows about it, but here, not so much a figure. It's an about. East Coast story. It's it's yeah, it's yeah. it's an East Coast story, and we're, we're, we're West Coast. Um, so he was arrested. Yes, two years ago now. Yep, August um, of two thousand and eight. For. 28 well he was he was arrested for stealing a bike now now in toronto's mythology everybody knew for about 20 years everybody knew that eagle was involved in to some greater or lesser degree with hot bicycles and uh and by hot bicycles i don't mean really cool bikes man i mean yeah. i mean stolen stolen bicycles and every everybody it was like this open secret in the city and in uh, on the in july 2008 the cops claimed that they they saw Igor directing one of his quote unquote associates to cut a bike lock with with bulk cutters and and he paid the gentleman for the bike. Um, Igor claims this never happened. Nonetheless, he did plead guilty a year and a half later to charges of bike theft and drug charges. But as the story grew and as the cops got more and more search warrants, they found two hundred two thousand eight hundred and ninety five bikes. Um, in various lockers and lockups across the city, um, that is that is a lot of bicycles. <laughs> you know, by anyone's standards. So I, I have a hard time fitting one bicycle into my two-bedroom apartment. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. It's you know, try uh, times go back by two thousand nine hundred. <laughs> so, what was the choice um, in studying in getting to know Igor? Why? I mean. You guys kind of had the, I don't even want to say fortune, but the, it was the, the timing that kind of worked out in some kind of, from a research standpoint. Hey, great great journalism is always about timing. Yeah. <laughs> poor, poor journalism is chance. about bad timing. Yeah. Uh, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I think we, we got lucky in the sense that Alex and, uh, so, so just to give you a sense, I, I, had, I had three collaborators on, on this project. Alex Jansen is the producer-publisher, and uh, it must be said here on Ingstuds that, uh, that, that, that he is um, he definitely one of the, with the great upcoming graphic novel people. Um, he's I, a driving I, force. He's a driving, like. he's a driving force. He's a, he's you know he's a, he's a Jerry Bruckheimer of indie graphic. <laughs> you know, that's that's what he is. He is a you know he's a, a really he's a force. He's a force to be reckoned with. And he and a and a filmmaker named Jason Gilmore had been had been chasing Igor around for about a year and a half prior to Igor's arrest. So they had about thirty hours of digital footage 
um, sort of ready and, and good to go by the time Igor was arrested. Mm -hmm. When Igor was arrested, I was hired by Toronto Life magazine, which is a which is a big uh, a big magazine in in, in the East um, to to write about Igor. So I went in dry. Um, I, one of the reasons I was hired is because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a cyclist and a racing cyclist, and I guess that's a fairly well-known fact in, in, in Toronto. Um, and off I went to do the story. Right after that sh story was published, Alex and Jason uh, approached me to write the book. So that's sort of the genesis of, of, of the project. Um, but the meat, of the, the meat of the story was the 30 hours of footage that mm -hmm. I was given. And it was just the footage is just incredible. So basically, by writing, you your role was to take the work and sort it in a way. Like I, no, no. I, I mean, it was unfortunate. I, I wish that's that's <laughs> like it. Just seems like you you you've got like this whole wealth of information. It's just kind of like pulling the gems out there and kind of making a structure of it. I, I mean, exactly. But the problem was that there needed to be a story, there needed to be an arc, there needed to be... There was a million ways to organize all this material. Mm -hmm. So um, the, I thought it was going to be easy. I thought, you know, I'm going to be given all this footage, I'll, I'll look through the footage, you know, the story's going to present itself, the, the moments will present themselves, and we'll be off to the races. I'll have this thing written in six weeks, and we'll have, a, we'll have something <laughs> out about, you know, three, four months after that. Unfortunately, it took me eight months to write, um, just because it was so hard figuring out, first of all, how to translate the language of film into, uh, I mean, this was all raw footage. Mm -hmm. So just trying to think around film and, and trying to form it into the, into the language of the graphic novel. It took a very, very long time to figure that out. Well, the amount of like just word count is in this kind of context is so minimal in mm -hmm. comparison when to 30 hours of footage like well everything's got to yeah. be perfect yeah right you've got to pick the perfect moment so you've got you know it's a it's a it's a series of making a zillion choices you're always making a choice mm -hmm. so you know it was an exhausting writing process i i could never have imagined that that doing something like this would have taken this long but getting a spine getting a satisfying arc making sure that i was getting the right sort of you know the right dialogue i i really 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 wanted to deliver this guy's character um, and I, I wanted to make no compromises in doing that. So it was actually a very lengthy writing process. Um, and, and yeah, I wish it was a little more just, you know, sort of sorting this, sorting that and having it, and, you know, having it make total sense. But unfortunately, <laughs> that didn't work out for me. It was a very complex uh, process. Yeah, it was. It was, a, it was a very complex process. So what would happen is that I, I wrote sort of like an Alan Moore Watchman type script. And, and in fact, I bit the, the nine panel grid style from the Watchman and from, you know, and from those, those British style comics from the, from, from the mid 80s. So... I kind of bit that style, and that seemed to make sense. And what I would do is, the 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 script itself was very detailed because I wanted to, I really wanted to make sure we we're getting Igor's expressions. He has a very expressive face, and one of the things I was nervous about was losing that that expressiveness. So I'd write the script, say exactly what the expressions were. Sometimes I'd give the exact second, the exact mm -hmm. frame of footage that I wanted to use, um, and and that sort of contributed to, to how the book was, was laid well, not not contributed but that was the basis of, of how the book was laid out he seems very charismatic he, he is yeah <laughs> he's an incredibly charismatic character he's a man with you know 
a, a lot of sort of almost animal, very male power, mm-hmm. um, and, and that makes for a you know an incredibly compelling. He's story. intelligent. He's charismatic, and he is uh, amoral and obsessed. Yeah, uh, totally obsessed. You know. Um, and, and he exists where I think we'd all like to exist, which is this moral gray zone. Like, he, he can make decisions that, that we wouldn't because he just doesn't care. Well, it, it, do you, can you see it kind of verging on sociopath tendencies without uh, the, homicidal, the homicidal part? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the interesting thing is that Igor is not, is not a, a violent guy. Um, is he a sociopath? Look, I'm, I'm not a shrink. You know, you know, is, you know, does he have obsessive compulsive disorder? I'm not a shrink. You know, is he a disposophobe? I'm not a shrink. All I know is that he has, you know, you know, my litmus test really was, does this guy know that he's doing something wrong? Yeah. And the answer to that question is, yeah, he knew he was doing something wrong. Did he care? Uh, well, he chose not to care. Now, I think sometimes he felt guilty and sometimes he does feel guilty. But, you know, he chose not to care. And there's, you know, the book sort of, I hope, explicates a bunch of compelling reasons why he doesn't care. Um, is he a sociopath? That's, a, that's an interesting question that I, I'm not sure I can answer. All right. Mm-hmm. I think I can do a quick song break. Sure. We're going to play uh, some Leibach. I think we, we agreed upon. Let's any, rock out some Slovenian hardcore. Any uh, particular track you'd like to hear? Uh, l- listen, you click on any of those, you're getting, uh, you're getting messy. Okay. Let's go with, uh, let's go with some Beatles. Hey! 
simple. Collectively, we overspend. Look at us. We're all fat, toothless losers. That's all to it. Our dicks don't even go up anymore without Viagra. Our women are not happy unless we give them some gifts, money. I don't know. It's, it's getting ballistic, man. Like, we don't have children. Well, why would you have children? Because then punk comes out, Dad, give me the credit card. Meanwhile, credit card has been maxed out. It's that simple. Does that kind of capture Igor? Yeah, that's, uh, that's classic, Igor. Yeah, our dicks are not going up. <laughs> it's a manly man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. End quote. You know, that's, uh, that's the guy. The man, the mystery, the... The legend. The, the legend, there, indeed. The, you know. Yeah, it's quite the... Uh, it was really fascinating at the beginning, like you, you prefaced it with the, uh, the attention that came... After the work that that goes after into the arrest. The, yeah. after the the arrest yeah. and just the pure vitriol hatred. Oh my God! People hated this guy. People, well, I'd still hate the guy. I mean, he is easily the most hated figure in Toronto. I, I think you could you could walk into Nathan Phillips Square in Toronto with a Gatling gun and blow away fifty people, and you still wouldn't have the same sort of you know <laughs> l- you know level of mass hatred that Igor that Igor engendered. By no means. <laughs> He's so fascinating, though, like, reading his his life story of growing up in Slovenia, well, Yugoslavia, mm-hmm. uh, which broke apart and being in the uh, the relatively unscathed portion yeah. in comparison. He spent, what, a year as a cop? Yeah. He, uh, no, he, he was in the police academy for about three years. And but then, actually... You know, yeah, no, he was a cop for a year. Yeah, and that didn't work out so well, <laughs> unsurprisingly. And then the story, uh, like... His time there, like basically, a black marketer. Yeah, he was a black. He was a black market guy. I mean, he he'd bring bananas over from from Austria into Slovenia. They didn't have bananas. He'd bring chocolates. He'd bring you know little radios, ghetto blasters. Uh, yeah, he was a he, he he ran what he called a gray market economy, and uh, he was very very good at it. Uh, you know, he just sort of charm and or browbeat the the customs guards coming over <laughs> uh, from Austria into into Slovenia. Um, and, and, you know, his friends in, in Slovenia just love him. They, they, they were sure they had come to Canada and run the place. Uh, <laughs> know, just, just end up as a, as a multimillionaire. Um, they, were, they were, I mean, at the, towards the end of his reign, he was pretty much a paper millionaire. If you're going to go by the value of his properties and, and his other assets. Well, the, the, the storefront was worth. Yeah, over $700,000. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess. The, guy was a millionaire <laughs> more fascinating things about him like his partner doctorate student from the juilliard oh she's yeah she's probably one of the, this country's best uh, best pianists um she's an Im- incredibly accomplished incl- you know very highly educated uh concert pianist accompanist mm-hmm. and she gave it all up to well, or she, did she? No, did, was she no, still? No, no, she still, she still goes. I mean, you, you know, really? she still, yeah, she still, she still plays very regularly. I mean, after the arrest, because she was implicated in the arrest, because there was drugs and cash in her house, she was also charged. But um, and and that sort of almost derailed her career. But no, no, she still, she still plays. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I found it really fascinating. After the arrest, they weren't allowed to be together. In. Uh, in in what sense? Like they had to live in separate places. Yeah, that's just there's something I I felt kind of like okay, so he got arrested. He hadn't been even. I mean, he still wasn't charged. 
Yeah, at that point, yeah. And they could still do that to someone to pull them apart from the yeah, relationship. The, the the weird thing about the justice system is when you when you be stuck getting close to it, it does get a little bit icky. And you know, on, on this case in particular, I spent a lot of time in the courts, and uh, th- there were some very unfair aspects of of the of the trial. Um, one of the cops, one of the arresting officers said that Igor's bail terms were the most stringent he's seen in his 20 years on the force. This is a guy who works in the 14 division in, in downtown Toronto, which is the busiest police pre, uh, district in this mm-hmm. country. So, and, and this is a guy saying he's never seen bail conditions this tough in his life. 275,000, wasn't it? Yeah, 275 grand, a lot of that cash. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's you know, murders. Don't get yeah. uh, or uh, you know alleged murder. Don't, <laughs> don't get dinged with that yeah. much. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, a lot of hatred, like we're saying. A lot before. of hatred. You know, even at even at how the judges, you know, had got wind of this guy, but they knew they just they were at once intimidated by him, loathed him, and admired him, and uh, yeah, slapped him with some pretty heavy bail conditions. Now you're going to be tonight. You're going to be at Lucky's Comics at Maine uh, between 23rd and 24th from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. I am. Uh, should be a good event. I like Lucky's. They're a good comic store. Uh, I popped in yesterday. They're very good. Comic okay. Store. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. It's, uh, they have a lovely little art gallery in the back, which I always appreciate in a comic store. Mm-hmm. No toys. Lots of art. No toys. We're men. Yeah. Yeah. There we exactly. Mm-hmm. Are we not men? <laughs> Sorry. And ladies, ladies <laughs> as well. Um, now, you were before we, we played the, the Leibach, and you were saying something interesting on uh, Igor's viewpoint on Leibach. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah. Igor, <laughs> Igor called them Nazi fascists. And, and funnily enough, the one thing that he, he has said to me that bothered him a lot about the book is when he calls people in Slovenia basically Nazi punks, fascists. Yeah. Uh, he, he's nervous that he's going to get slayed for that when he goes back to Slovenia, uh, which he might well. But, oh, uh, he's getting deported. Yeah. He, he throws. Uh, yeah, he. You know, he's, he's liberal with his usage of the term Nazi in terms of, <laughs> in terms of behavior. Oh, Igor, mm. he's always up for trouble. So, tell me a bit about yourself and your own background before going into some what some of your journalistic interests have been. Sure, um, I was uh, I, I was born in South Africa uh, and I grew up there uh, during during apartheid. Um, I went to film school in Montreal for uh, for a few years, um, and then I just uh, sort of got the travel bug, headed out on the road, and came back and started my film career, uh, which ended uh, in sort of like a massive breakdown on a Toyota Yaris commercial that I was producing. <laughs> so it was like, you know what? I am not selling this shit anymore. I am I'm out. So I, I literally quit filming Cold Turkey and and took up took up writing. Um, I always wanted to be. You know, a Joseph Mitchell or an A.J. Liebling doing that kind of investigative journalism. I'd always wanted to be on the road writing in that way. I just never thought it was possible. But, uh, you know, you shoot enough, uh, you know, sugar punk music videos and, and, and Toyota commercials and, <laughs> you know, you're driven to distraction. So, so I actually quit cold turkey and, and went into journalism. And I was very lucky to get some good gigs earlier on. And that sort of jump-started my career. So it was your first big piece of journalism, Mark? Uh, my first big piece of journalism work was actually a book deal uh, for a book about growing up in, in apartheid era South oh, okay. Africa. Uh, so it's called Yarn No Man, Growing Up White in Apartheid Era South Africa. And it's sort of a, a bizarre sort of comic take on, on my youth in, in Johannesburg during, during the apartheid years. 
whole different world from anything I could imagine. Yeah, yeah, very different world, very different world. Mm. And you've done some other books, something on graffiti, am I right? Uh, no, the, my, my second book was a book called The Shakes Batmobile in Pacific oh, okay, American right. pop culture there in the Muslim go. world. So for that book, I, I, I went to 17 different countries uh, all over the Muslim, Muslim world, so Muslim-majority population countries. And so you're talking like all the way from like Morocco to Indonesia? Uh, pretty much. I mean, you know, Saudi Arabia, Iran, uh, the UAE, um, you know, uh, Egypt, and so on. So, so 17, 17 of these countries looking at the effect that American pop culture has in these countries. So I'd look at hip hop in Palestine, um, punk music in, in Indonesia, Disney in Egypt and uh, Dubai. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a really, really interesting process, and that comes out in the states in September. Oh, okay, mm -hmm. it's gonna be fascinating. So, yeah, it was a, it was just an incredible, uh, incredible journey, and, and you know, really, really sort of honed my, cut my teeth as a as a as a journalist. I really value the idea of um, kind of letting the work speak for itself. Like, I guess you're kind of stepping away from the the present, like you said, like the the icon as the. Uh, as the documenter, like the mm -hmm. Michael Moore type thing. Well, Michael Moore does some interesting work, but it definitely not as big into the... It's about... Yeah, I know. I hate... Being I, I hate that style into of that stuff. Yeah. I, I've... I... One of the things I, I would really, really wanted to do with Kank is, is for there to be very little editorial voice. Mm -hmm. Now, people get, get confused. It's a very authored book. It's very written. Mm -hmm. Um... But it doesn't have an editorial voice. And the reason for that is that I want Kank to be ambiguous. I don't want to spoon-feed my audience and tell them what to think. I am not Michael Moore. I never will be. It's just not my gig. Um, I want people to come out of the process feeling uneasy and not feeling entirely sure what to think. That was definitely one of my mandates with the Shakespeare mobile. Um, and I think I was successful with that. And it's, it's, you know, it was my mandate with Kank. I'm, I'm not about to spoon-feed anybody anything. No agenda. Uh, no, no, no. That's, that, that's uh, you know, my agenda is the world is a complicated place. Yeah. You know, let's acknowledge those complications and try to make try to make some sort of sense of them. But let's not pretend that some dude, you know, typing can figure them out. One of the things you make a point of uh, early on is talking about how it's in some ways really spotlights on the immigrant experience. Yeah. Do you want to kind of touch on that? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, a, as an immigrant, as somebody who came from a very, very different society to the one that we, we live in here, um, as someone who, who grapples with, with what my identity is, but doesn't make, necessarily make a big deal about it. I mean, I, I go out and I live mm -hmm. my life. Most immigrants, and this country is by and large an immigrant country, mm -hmm. live in this sort of gray zone the sort of weird zone between what was and what 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 is and it becomes difficult to an extent to have a vision of what the future might be when you're when you live in this sort of state of constant expediency let's say of, of you know let's just get by let's get through today let's get through today let's get through today um and and that's you know igor really does exemplify that 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 state this condition of living in the middle one foot in slovenia one foot in canada sort of unable to to reconcile the two places um you know his hyper capitalist hyper socialist mindset um that that massive contradiction which sits at the heart of him is a direct result of the fact that he's he came of age in slovenia when titoism mm -hmm. when yugoslavia was falling to pieces 
You know, he transplanted that into the Queen, Queen Street West neighborhood of Toronto and has subsequently become a legendary on account of it. So that, that's something I find very interesting about the, about the immigrant ex- experience. And, and it's, it's certainly a point of relation between Igor and I. It's, it's fascinating because, I mean, in one part he's talking about not quite communal ideas, but um, how people are wasting things mm-hmm. and throwing things out. But as a hoarder... It's not getting used. Of course. Too. There's a massive contradiction at the heart of Igor's, you know, don't throw anything else out, reuse philosophy. Because all the stuff he was not throwing out and, you know, quote-unquote reusing, he was just keeping. Yeah. He was hoarding. So, obviously, he recognizes in himself this need to collect ob- objects on a massive scale. And to some degree, it's destroyed him. Um, but he's fully aware of that contradiction. I, I think it's in chapter seven where I think very poignantly he speaks about this need to to consume this need to you know acquire stuff, um, and, and his and his wife put it put it very beautifully. She said, you know, Igor is I, I they both live very frugally. I mean, they don't spend money. Uh, you know, even even students here at UBC <laughs> would be profligate by by their by their standards, um, but. Jeannie pointed out that she's frugal without needing to acquire anything. Igor is frugal, but at the same time needs stuff. He needs stuff very desperately. Um, Yeah, so there's this massive contradiction at the heart of the man, one that he is as aware of as anyone. Well, I mean, with that, you get... I mean, she comes from means. She comes from... Yeah, she comes from a middle-class family, absolutely. and, And he comes from someone from not quite a societal breakdown, but pretty damn close to that, mm-hmm. and transplanting himself in this whole other world and having to create his own identity. I mean, there's such a big contrast between the two of them. There is. Um, and, and I mean, of course, Jeannie's Korean, so she does come from an immigrant community as well. Um, and it should be said that, you know, uh, not every immigrant comes to this country and hoards three thousand bicycles. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of upstanding Slovenian, you know, immigrants in in Toronto, a, a number, and I know a few of them. Uh, so it's not like it's, it's not like the rigor. I mean, obviously it's Igor's personality. Yeah. But uh, w- what I guess I'm trying to say is, in answer to your question, is that what he really does is he amplifies this experience. He jacks it up to eleven, and you know, screams it from the ramparts. <laughs> I'm going to do a quick song break. We're about 22. Uh, reminding people, I'm talking to Richard Poplack, and your book is Kank. You will be at Lucky's tonight from 6 p.m. till 8 p.m. up on Main Street between 22nd and 23rd. A very fine store with a very fine selection of goods. I think we're going to play another, uh, another Leibach track. Um, any particular choices at this time? Uh, no, man. I'm, I'm leaving it to the, the master. All right. I think uh, I got something. There we go. Oh! 
song ended very abruptly and suddenly what's up with that well they're they're slovenians and they're slovenians they just like to end things they start abrupt and end abrupt um talking to richard poplak uh about kank the uh a graphic portrait of igor kank from toronto's queen street west Indeed. and he still lives in toronto he does he does doesn't he yeah, yeah he's, he, still, uh, he's still about town I was very impressed that apparently he was at the launch for the book. 
You should have. But well, first of all, the launch for the uh, it it it's worth pausing on on and considering just for a moment that launch. It was ridiculous. There were probably upwards of six hundred people in and out of the uh, out of the. Look, mm-hmm. you were there. I was there. I was expecting to be popping in and be some people milling around and stop and talk to Alex and meet whoever was involved with the book. And I go in, and it's basically it's one of those you get you walk in the door, and it's just a lineup of just just people standing around. Like, how am I even going to get a drink? It was it was madness. And uh, Igor himself was there, and uh, yeah, so so he had he showed up. There was there was cameras everywhere. It was it was one of those nights where where. Yeah, I thought someone had slipped something into my drink, and I'd you know gone down the rabbit hole. <laughs> I took the blue pull. You know, yeah, it was it was very very odd. But but yeah, he's still uh, he's still he's still in Toronto. But uh, it, it, you know, it's funny just, just walking through the streets of, of Vancouver. I haven't been here since uh, I guess a couple of summers ago, and just just right when there was all that Olympic construction going on, mm-hmm. um, and this city's been tarted up like a, oh yeah you know, it's, yeah it's, like it's it's, it's prom night. It, absolutely, and the book seems more relevant in in Vancouver to some degree than it does in Toronto because essentially it's a book about gentrification. I mean, it's a book about a neighborhood in flux and a neighborhood that changed so radically. While many of its characters looked around stunned, and you know had baby strollers that are the size of SUVs sort of barrel them off into the into the wilderness. Um, I'd love to, if you had time, to take you down to the downtown east side and just see the Woodward's building and kind of be like the exact same context of But this is it. Queen this is what West. I'm saying. Yeah. I was. I was tramping oh, okay. about there uh, yesterday. Um, you know, coming, you know, take the walk from Yale Town through Gastown into the, into the east side. I mean, you, you know, that's exactly what's happening. Um, and the book, the, you know, Kenk feels, you know, oddly much more relevant here in Vancouver than it, mm-hmm. than it does even in Toronto. And um, it's really fascinating. Like, I, I don't know what the community element was like in Toronto and Queen Street West. But in Vancouver, I work in the downtown east side, and it is a community there. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. You know, it might not be the healthiest community. There may be a lot of challenges there. Mm-hmm. But every community has challenges, you know? Absolutely. And, yeah. and, it, and, it, and it's lost. And I think, I mean, something like this that I appreciate is the fact that you are capturing a moment in time. Yeah, you're capturing... I mean, cities... Cities are incredible. They're, they're, they're organisms. They they're, and parts of the organism dies and is reborn on a consistent basis. And of course, Toronto's in flux, and of course, Vancouver's in flux. But it does. It, it we, we do need to pause and just consider for a bit the social costs that are inherent in, mm-hmm. in, in those changes, and not just the social costs, but also the cultural costs. Um, and they are significant, and that is definitely something that the book is about. Um, I was thinking a lot about my hometown, Johannesburg, when I was writing this book as well, because Johannesburg is legendary for being a palimpsest. I mean, it's the apartheid regime wiped entire communities off the map with bulldozers mm-hmm. and built on top of them. And, you know, Johannesburg's story is, is to a large degree Toronto's story, which is Vancouver's story, which is Beijing's story. Um, so, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it, it feels like a very urban book, I hope. It smells like an urban book. Like the, there's so much black yeah, ink in it that it's just Yeah, my fingers oily. get black. <laughs> yeah, you, feel, you actually feel somehow soiled after reading the book. Well, it is. is it, exactly the idea. It is like being in Toronto. My fingers go black just while in Toronto. It's exactly. such a filthy city. This is, this is punk, Robin. <laughs> this is punk. We're living it, it. This is punk? Okay, I was, I was figuring. You know, I've, yeah. I've been around punk in a while, and it's just been waiting to... Yeah. <laughs> this is it. Punk is a, a dirty, oily smelling comic book called Kink. That's what passes for punk today. Anyway. <laughs> well, uh, I'll 
teach those kids some things. Yeah, exactly. Now, earlier, uh, you made a reference um, towards not being excited by other comics journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to veer into a completely uh, topical direction instead sure. of kind of primarily focusing on the book. Is what do you kind of, in the realm of comics, what do you see working as journalism in comics? And what role do comics journalism I mean, what I would like to see is the ethics of of feature journalism applied to to comics journalism. If we're if we're talking about journal, journalistic comics, then we really do need to start talking about some of the back end process of 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 journalism. When I write a piece for the War Russ or or a major American magazine, um, there are fact checkers, mm-hmm. there are copy editors, there are checks and balances that ensure that your facts are right, and that there is let's say le- as much truthiness um, if not, <laughs> for lack um, of a better term yeah for lack of a better term uh, than not I also you know much of 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 what we'll call journalistic comic books mm-hmm. have been you know of the Michael Moore school where there's a personality that's sort of involved in, in, in walking us through situations that demand rigorous intellectual and journalistic um, consideration but often don't get it um, in, in the context of comic books. So I, I find that stuff in, immensely dissatisfying. And, uh, you, you know, uh, Kink was in, in some, to, to some degree, I don't presume to, be, to, to come into the, the comics medium and try to change comics. Yeah. That's, that's not what I'm, I'm doing here. <laughs> what I was trying to do was make a radical piece of journalism using the comics medium. But if we are going to have a, a discussion about what journalism's comics could be, I feel like Kink lays the gauntlet down. The, mm-hmm. This is what it can be, you know. First of all, it's rooted in, in, a, in a whole lot of fact-based material. It's a fumetti. It's a photo novel. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's, a, it's a photo-based comic book. And, you know, there's something to be said, said for that. It's, it's a hybrid project. And, you know, I, I, I really like what that says about the process. It suggests rigor. Well, the big difference between this and a lot of um, comic books is it's not an auteur piece. No, no, by no means. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's something of the Pop Sandbox mandate, Pop Sandbox being Alex's company. And, uh, hey, here's a little bit of a scoop for you. Uh, and by little, I mean little. But <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be editing at large for Pop Sandbox from here on out. Okay. Um, really, th- we, don't, we don't curate other, other writers' stuff. That's not what this is. It's, it's, a, it's, a, highly, it's a highly edited medium, uh, mm-hmm. the kind of books that we're, that we're looking to put out. Mostly because, you know, we'd like to take th- this idea of the, of, of the memoir, the comic memoir, which has become almost, a, a, you know, so stale it's, because it's just out there with the, with the same sort of indie sensibility and, you know, the same sort of boilerplate situations that have, been, that have existed in the medium for 30, 40 years and, and sort of just apply a different discipline to it um, and, and see how far we can push it. I'm really excited about the uh, book on residential schools they're working on. Now, this, I don't know anything about it, but the fact that they're taking that as a topic excites me. This book is the book of 2011. Um, it's incredible. The, the young lady who's writing it's named Nadia McLaren. She's a woman of, of just boundless empathy. Um, she's, she's a fantastic artist. The, the art style we're going for is this mixture of, for, for, those, of, uh, for those of your listeners who, who are unfamiliar with the residential school system, basically it was a system that plucked native kids out as, as young as 
a six and put them in, in Catholic or Anglican schools until they were 18 and then sent them back to their families to reintegrate them. So it was the systematic uh, government-mandated means of destroying the, culture. the native uh, the, the, the culture, and it did exactly that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something we're still... Like, it's been oh, shut down for, for quite some time. Yeah, it's, it's not been addressed, uh, the, the, but it's also still heavily, heavily, heavily affecting communities. Like oh, you still, absolutely. Like, it's the, scars, the scars yeah. are untold. Absolutely. So Nadia's grandmother was a, was a residential school uh, victim. Um, the usual, you know, just, just horrible mistreatment. And, uh, and, and the effects of that were, were very prevalent in her life. And it's, it's Nadia's telling of a grandmother's story and, and how she sort of awakened to all of this, um, to all of this stuff. It's, it's going to be stunning. Um, and, and the art's going to be sort of a mixture between Catholic um, iconography and, and native uh, native iconography, uh, this sort of beautiful mixture with these very expressive characters. Um, yeah, I, I can't wait for that book to come out. I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. It should be good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming to Vancouver and chatting with me today, Richard. My pleasure, man. It's uh, It's been a swell chat. And uh, look forward to more. And uh, congrats on uh, putting together a good book. Thank you very much, man. All right. Um, just so folks know, up next we have Japanese Music West as well. Next week, uh, my guest will be local cartoonist uh, James Lloyd. We'll be chatting about his fancy uh, Abrams book edition of his... Uh, actually, Ian Boothby will join us as well about their Simpsons Futurama crossover. Ooh. Completely different direction from here. Um, and the following uh, week will be David Lloyd, the man behind uh, V for Vendetta, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And I got a whole lot of stuff just I'm putting out there today. I just posted a panel from TCAF of uh, Paul Pope and Dash Shaw chatting about comics and me sitting there and asking really stupid questions and luckily them answering quite intelligently. So should be some interesting stuff. And uh, I'm pretty happy. TCAF was a good trip. I will be... Uh, Part of the trip was kind of promoting the book, and I'll be releasing information on the book over the next while when I get my act together and actually do something about it. So it should be fun. Once again, thank you so much for joining me today, Richard. My pleasure, man. And everyone go down to Lucky's this evening from 6 p.m. till 8 p.m. between 22nd and 23rd on Main Street. If you haven't been there yet, you really should have already been. CITR has more friends than ever before. We've partnered with tons of local businesses to bring you great discounts in the communities where you live, work, and play. Maybe Main Street is your main drag. Present your friends of CITR card at Red Cat Records, Lucky's Comics, Devil May Wear, Thriller, Slim, The Kiss Store, The Wallflower Modern Diner, RX Comics, Antisocial Skateboard Shop, Vinyl Records, Regional Assembly of Tech, and Twig and Hottie to receive fabulous discounts. So become a CITR member, get a free friends card, and feel the love. Tide, dealer's tâche. Plus de tâche, c'est certain.